0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 128, Tools to Regulate Your Nervous System. Are you starting to be able to recognize your stress responses, the different branches of your nervous system, or are you starting to feel ready to take action, you know, to move from one state to the other and to help your body doing so? If so, today's episode is for you. We'll go over many, many different tools to help you meet your nervous system where it is and to help you shift state as needed, learning to regulate yourself. For today's episode, I don't have a guest. I'm taking the spotlight again. If you have missed my two latest solo episodes, number 117 was called Understanding Your Stress and number 121, Nervous System 101. I would strongly suggest that you start with those two before you dive into today's episode. For my other solo episodes, check the list in the show notes. Since stress is such a big topic and affects us in so many ways, I wanted to do a series. I mean, it's a very big part of my teachings already. It's something I've been focusing on for a long time. So I feel like I have a lot to say on the subject. And it's at the core of my coaching, which by the way, I have one spot open right now. If you'd like to look into all of this one-on-one, you'll also find a link in the show notes to set up a free call with me. Today, we're going deep, so I will give you tons of tools and suggestions. I would suggest that you take a pen and a journal, and you make a list of what feels like a good idea right away, like what sounds helpful to you, what sparks your curiosity, without overthinking it. Just writing down whatever catches your attention for some reason, and then you can start with these tools, and then later, come back and maybe listen to the episode again, and you might pick up new ones. I would also really love to read your takeaways on this episode, so as you listen, and I mean that might be like the one tool you want to start to experiment with, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will of course reshare you, but the idea is that everybody will be able to read your takeaways and you can go or we can go deeper into the content of each episode as we learn from each other too in this community. Alright, let's get to today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Now before we get into all the tools, let's do a little recap of our nervous system. In episode 117, we've learned the importance of our perception, our thoughts, our language, in our experience of stress. In episode 121, we've talked about the autonomic branch of your nervous system with the three states explained by polyvagal theory, dorsal vagal, or your freeze-collapsed state, sympathetic, or your fight or flight and ventral vagal, or you social and engaged. All three, organized on the ladder from dorsal moving up towards ventral, we learn that we oscillate between these three states as a way to stay safe and conserve energy. As a reminder, ventral vagal is the state in which you're able to socially engage, to connect, to relate to other people. Your system is functioning optimally, and that includes your digestion, your reproduction, your rest, and all your healing mechanisms. We are present, we're feeling secure, and loving. Your sympathetic response, or your fight or flight, resembles a stress response. It is. We are activated, mobilized, we're ready to take action to get rid of any threat that comes our way, we might feel agitated even like frantic. We experience fear, worry, and anxiety in this state. And then lastly, dorsal vagal is your I'm playing possum response. Deer in headlights. It's a state of collapse where you have no agency, you're feeling lethargic, or it's a state of freeze where you're petrified, where you're unable to mobilize, you're unable to take action. In whichever state you are at whatever moment, you can take the right next action for you to move closer towards what you need or what you want to experience in the moment. So if you're in dorsal vagal, you need to get unfrozen, unstuck, a little reactivated to be able to be mobilized, to get active and to get something done. But if you're overindulging in your sympathetic response, you might need to move to a more relaxed state, something closer to ventral vagal. And in your ventral vagal, if you're very happy and you're good being there, but something happens that threatens your safety, you need to be able to move pretty quickly down to your sympathetic response and be able to fight or flee as you need. The first step in choosing the right tool for you in that moment is to understand where you are. So if you have skipped episode 121, Nervous System 101, and when I say like dorsal vagal or ventral vagal, it sounds like I'm speaking another language you might need to take a step back before you can take a step forward. But if you're comfortable with these words and what they mean in your body, let's keep going. So understanding yourself happens over time. And with practice, from observing yourself, from learning to recognize your body's sensations, what they mean, the emotions you're experiencing, your own thought patterns, your perception, particularly around safety or lack thereof. Since the nervous system moves like at the speed of light, you will probably need to start observing things after they happened. It might be just a couple minutes, but in the beginning, it's pretty much impossible to do it live in the heat of the moment. One tool that is really helpful to create some cognitive distance between your experience and what is happening is journaling. You can use prompts like, in my body I feel. Well, even looking at a list of physical symptoms for each state if you need that in the beginning. But if we take an example, in my body I feel, my heart is pounding, I'm warm, I'm breathing a little faster, it's a little shallower, I feel tense around my shoulders and my neck. What is this? You got it. It's your sympathetic response. It looks like I'm about to fight or I might retrieve and want to go hide somewhere. Prompt number two After in my body, I feel, you might journal on emotionally, I feel. If we continue with the same example, emotionally, I feel anxious right now. I feel worried about, I feel afraid of, I feel agitated, confused, frustrated, irritated, angry, and the list goes on. Prompt number three, I've been thinking. And then filling the blank. I've been thinking this is not fair. It's too difficult. It's too demanding. I've been thinking I'm a failure. I'm an imposter. I've been thinking I'm not good enough. This is not okay. This is dangerous. I don't feel good here. It's always like, it's never like, or all men, all women, all the time, right? These kind of thoughts, observing what they are and what are we repeating in our head on a loop, on a tape. Prompt number four, in this case, I would feel safer if. I would feel more social if. I would feel more relaxed if. And as you practice journaling on these things, over time it will be faster. You'll be able to feel, observe, name your experience in second. I feel mm -mm, I'm in a state of And then you can choose the easiest word for you to remember or comprehend. It could be social or connected or engaged or loving for ventral vagal. It could be fight or flight or activated or whatever resonates for you for sympathetic. It could be frozen, possum, collapsed, whatever you want for dorsal ventral. Just making it easy for yourself to recognize and feel, observe, and name fairly quickly over time. In a general manner, you can also use journaling to identify When you feel safe and when you don't. You can make a list of common triggers for your fight or flight response as well as for your freeze response. And these might be things like an argument with my boss, something cutting me off in traffic, being late for an appointment, right? Once you worked on identifying your triggers, you can also do the opposite exercise and you can make a list of your glimmers. Glimmers might be a new term for you. Glimmers are the opposite kind of of trigger. They are the thing that brings you to that optimal nervous system state of your ventral vagal socially engaged and loving state. And it could be something as simple as petting your dog, getting a hug, anything that helps you feel better. (laughs) Good. Move up the ladder, right? Once you have identified where you stand, you have to meet yourself there with acceptance. There's really no use in bullying yourself about the state you're in. It's only going to bring you further down towards collapse, where if you use compassion, acceptance, and love, that will help you move towards ventral, vagal state. Loving, socially engaged state. Meeting yourself where you are instead of where you think you should be also allows you to be very gentle in the transition. Right? If you're collapsed and you try to forcefully get activated, it might backfire on you. So when you're collapsed, you want to start with something that resembles that energy. It will feel safer for your system. And safety here is the name of the game. So as you feel safe, then you'll be able to transition into a different state. It's like you have to build that trusting relationship with your system. First Saying, I see you. I hear you. I know we're here. I meet you here. I love you here now. Let's take a step in that direction. So in other words, when you're ready to take action, you need to meet yourself where you are to then slowly transition towards the next state on the ladder. Then you get grounded in that energy before moving to the next one if you're going to take two steps in one direction. Before we look into each state and what we can do, let's look at supporting the nervous system over time in general moving your baseline upward, the ladder, and widening your window of tolerance for your triggers. A regular yoga practice, meditation practice, breath practice, and mindfulness practice are great ways to support your system by focusing on being more present and learning to be a witness. That will also support you in counteracting the effects of stress and just overall wellness. On top of that, yoga also helps you directly balance your sympathetic and parasympathetic responses, helping you find homeostasis. And in turn, it helps you balance your hormones and every system in your body while supporting a reduction in heart rate and blood pressure and more. With a breath practice, you can also learn to balance the branches of your autonomic nervous system. You can learn to deepen and slow down the rhythm of your breath, counteracting stress again. And then a meditation practice can help you activate your parasympathetic response, cultivate interception, create distance between you and your thoughts, and so on. I feel like when it comes to these tools, I'm probably preaching to the choir, so I'm not gonna dive further into justifying why these works. I'll go into other tools for you. <laughs> so remember that ventral vagal or loving socially engages is the state where your system functions optimally. So anything that helps you be more healthy aka supports your system in functioning more optimally, will help you move your baseline upward over time. For me, that includes sleep quality and your secretive rhythms and your schedule. Note that most adults need seven to nine hours of sleep for optimal health. I know, that sounds like a lot. And the hours of sleep before midnight are actually the most valuable. I kind of hear you rolling your eyes. But studies shows that the 90-minute phase before midnight is one of the most powerful phase of our sleep. In that phase, the body is replenishing and rejuvenating on every level, physical, mental, emotionally. Some even talk about spiritually, although we don't really have studies to show that. It's also a phase where adrenaline level lower down the most. It's in that phase that it lowers down the most, which is obviously vital for your stress regulation. And that phase has a lot of healing potential in general. So sleep a lot and early. (laughs) Other than sleep, I include and focus on diet when it's time to support your energy needs. Something we haven't really gotten into in the episode on stress is how a lack of access to resources when it comes to food, aka creating a higher demand of energy that we provide through food, is stressful for your body. And this is very evident when it comes down to a low-carb diet. Glucose is our main fuel source in the body. So when our blood sugar gets low, it triggers a stress response. Hunger is potentially life-threatening after all, right? So the stress response helps equalize the blood sugar level so you can survive longer. So having too many processed carbohydrates and sweet can throw off your blood sugar by causing a drastic increase in blood sugar, followed by an equally drastic drop. It's the big drop in blood sugar that triggers the stress response, resulting in some physiological symptoms that resembles anxiety, for example. Low-carb diets, especially low-carb and low-fat diet combined, also trigger the stress response because the body isn't as efficient at getting energy from protein and fat that it is from carbohydrate. And this is why many people, especially women, because women naturally have higher level of cortisol than men, women feel anxious and even wired on low-carb diets. The body is increasing cortisol when it doesn't have enough glucose to support metabolic function and hormone regulation, and that results in your feeling of anxiety. So all that to say, properly fueling your body with adequate, unprocessed carbs, clean protein, and healthy fat will support your nervous system overall functioning. Other than sleep and food, exercise is another great and important component here for me. As your heart rate increases during exercise, blood flow increases to the brain, and as blood flow increases, your brain is exposed to more oxygen and more nutrient. A protein is released into the brain, and as such, the neurons are getting more nourished, and they can grow and renew, which improves your brain health in general and internal functioning of your nervous system, because of course your brain is part of that. Exercise also boosts your mood and reduces your stress by releasing chemicals such as dopamine and endorphins, aka your happy hormones, while reducing adrenaline and cortisol, aka your stress hormones. There are a few more tools that you can use to support your nervous system in general, but for now, I want to talk about one more. So we've talked about sleep, about food, about exercise. The last one I want to mention is your vitamin D levels. Now, this could get very needy really fast, so I'm going to try to keep it simple. Vitamin D plays a crucial role in proliferation, neuroprotection neurotransmission, and neuroplasticity of your brain. So in short, it improves your connective function, it protects and supports the growth of your neurons, and it reduces inflammation. That means it influences a number of psychiatric and neurological disease, particularly dementia, schizophrenia, autism, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, and multiple sclerosis, on top of being shown in study in general chronic pain and pain reduction. So how much is enough vitamin D? Experts say between 1,000 and 2,000 IUs daily. It's about the amount that your body will synthesize from 15 to 30 minutes of sun exposure without sunblock two or three times a week. And this is on average the ideal range for most healthy adults. So keep in mind, however, that your skin color, where you live, How much skin you have exposed will also affect how much vitamin D your body can produce and synthesize. All right, that's a lot already. So we talked about journaling, yoga, meditation, breath, mindfulness practices, sleep, food, carbs, (laughs) exercise, and vitamin D. Now that you have some tools to support your nervous system in general, let's look at each state and what we can do from each state. Let's start at the bottom of the ladder with dorsal vagal. You're playing possum, frozen, collapsed state. In that state, we usually feel disconnected or numb or even disembodied. So to help us move out of dorsal, any tools that help you reconnect to your environment, to your body, to your emotions, and to your thoughts will be helpful. The environment is usually the one that comes first and feels the safest if you're in a known, controlled, secure space, like your own home. One great tool I've learned to reconnect to the environment is orienting. Orienting is the practice of looking around and paying attention on purpose to our surroundings. Let's do a quick example together. Take a moment to get still and then take a couple deep breaths. kind of arriving in the moment and slowing things down. Now start to look around you. Notice and name all the blue things. So I have a blue cushion on my couch. There's a jean jacket hanging over there. I have a blue yoga mat. There's a blue button on my computer screen. There's a blue blanket. There's some blue in one of the curtains There's some blue in one of the paintings. There's a coaster that has some blue. And that's about it in my environment right now. You could do the same by looking and seeing like how many square things you can find. Okay. And then after you've done this for whatever you choose, it could be a color, it could be a shape, it could be anything that's particularly interesting. Take a moment and notice how you feel. Orientation is the natural process or the natural response of animals to scan their environment to assess for safety. Asking, like, can I rest here or will I need to run or fight soon? So, the body's response to the environment, whether that's your space, your landscape, or even the people around you, can be either sympathetic, dorsal, or ventral. If we feel safe in our space, Orienting helps us move up the ladder by helping our body and our breath experience that safety, that ease, that softness, that fullness, even that centerness. If we are out in the environment and we need to take a moment to orient, we can start by paying attention to things that are calming, like the clouds moving in the sky or some leaves moving under the wind. Or if like me, you have the chance to live by the beach, the waves coming in and out are great things to look at to orient. On top of that, you can start to slowly scan your environment and again, find and name things you see. Here, the eye movement are essential because when we are in a dorsal state, the eyes tend to get fixed. Think of like a deer in headlights. So as we move the eyes, we signal to the brain that we can relax. Once you have reconnected to your environment, you can practice reconnecting to your body. And there are many tools you can choose from to do that. I like to use weighted blankets, yoga sandbags, or even if you have a pet, have your pet lay on you. That might really help you feel your body, its weight and the ground or the couch or the bed or whatever's under you. These tools use deep, Pressure stimulation, which is thought to stimulate the production of serotonin, one of your mood-boosting hormones, while reducing your cortisol, your stress hormone. We've been talking about this one so much. So these are some tools. Then you can add on when you feel ready. Something as simple as rubbing your arm, right? So you have one hand, you rub your arm, saying out loud, this is my arm, while breathing and looking at it. And then you can continue with the rest of your body. This is my hand. These are my fingers. This is my chest. And you keep going like that, naming as you feel the body part, starting to slowly mobilize and move your body. When you're ready to take it up a notch or you're not that far into torso, you can start to practice self-massage. That could be really supportive for you. I like to use a soft and gentle tool like the Gorgeous Ball from Yoga Tuna, which is an air-filled ball. And I have some recorded classes with this tool on the yoga membership if you'd like to try, by the way. So here we are feeling a little bit more deeply into the tissue because the pressure of the ball is a little bit more than just the pressure on your hand or the pressure of your hand on your skin. So with this tool, you can invite the breath to push gently against the ball as a way to reconnect even further with your body, its part and the breath itself. So for example, if you put the breath onto your rib cage, let's say on the side of the ribs, you can call in your attention and try to breathe sideways, kind of expanding the side of the ribs as you press them into the ball. You can use the ball in the ribs. In the belly, in the waist, in the hip flexors. There's particular area of the body that really helps your relaxation. Some other examples are the face, the neck, even the pelvic floor. Another way to reconnect to your body that is really gentle is practicing a body scan or a yoga nidra. It's a bit less active than touching your body, so it might feel easier for you in the sense of it might feel safer. But it could also feel harder for you, depending on your level of disconnect, since it's a more subtle practice, right? The sensations are more subtle, there's no touch involved. I have a couple yoga nidras on the podcast membership platform too, so you can try one of these and see how it goes. If you want to do a body scan just by yourself, you can name the body parts and relax them consciously while noticing sensation, temperature, density, or even texture. Other grounding exercises or techniques can also help. Orienting is one we talked about, and rubbing or touching our body is another one. Connecting and feeling your connection to your seat or to the floor while being still. Eventually, a walking meditation would also do. Slowly adding more and more movement as we feel that we're transitioning towards sympathetic. So then it might be like restorative yoga, yin yoga. Really simple rhythmic poses like a slow cat and cow transition or a pelvic rock on our backs. Even short Vinny yoga sequences here would be supportive, I believe. As we start to pay attention to our bodies or as you start to pay attention to your body, you might feel a little bit more present, a little bit more connected. A simple breath practice of like breath awareness can also be a great tool. In its simplest form, breathing, knowing you're breathing in, and breathing out, knowing you're breathing out. And you can add the words in, out. If you find like your mind wanders a little bit when you just like observe the fact that you're breathing in and you're breathing out. Counting your breath can also be the next possibility from there. I like to do a inhale saying end, like a A-N-D. And exhale saying one, and then you move up to five in the beginning, eventually to ten, to then go back down. So it would sound like end one, end two, and then if you get to five, end five, and then end four, end three. And you go up and down like this, just keeping the count, especially backwards, asks your brain to be really present. And it's fairly calming. Going a little further with that, you can also do something like following the breath in the body. So like inhaling, feeling the air touching your top lip, then your nostrils, then the back of your throat, then your collarbones, then your ribs your belly, and then reverse it on the way back. Belly, ribs, collarbone, back of the throat, nostril, top lip. So following the breath in the body. Those are examples of breath practices that you can do to reconnect to your body and your breath. Starting to lengthen your exhalation or adding a vibration of your soft palate, like if you're excelling and doing the sound hum or even just the letter M, mm, is a great way to lengthen the breath and also brings a tiny bit of movement in the body through the voice. The last tool that I would recommend for the body to reconnect to the body is using cold water to move out of dorsal. So running your wrist under cool water or washing your face with cool water or running an ice cube on the side of your neck or inside your mouth can really help you and affect your heart rate and your heart rate variability as your cardiovascular system will respond to the cold by increasing your cardiac vagal activation. So it will move you a little bit closer towards sympathetic response. When it comes to reconnecting to the thoughts, now that we've done the body and the breath and the environment, When we want to reconnect with the thoughts, our desires, our emotions, we first need to learn to identify them. For some of us, it's super obvious for some emotions, and for others, it's really difficult. Like, it's difficult to know, like, is this anger or is this sadness? It might sound very different, but for some of us, they express in similar ways. So becoming aware of your emotion, being able to identify them, journal about them, even talk about them with a friend that can listen very well or a professional, that could be really helpful. Particularly looking at your relation to and your experience of shame, worthlessness, hopelessness, and helplessness. Sitting with these emotions and allowing yourself to feel them is a very important step a self-practice of assertiveness can also really help you make and practice making choices for yourself. Like, do I want to do X or Y? Like forcing you to make a choice. Instead of always doing the same thing on autopilot from years of conditioning and of learning that you should do this and this is better for you, but you've never really questioned your desire around it, or if it's even helpful for you. So it could be as simple as, do I want coffee or tea today? Do I want to eat out of a plate or a bowl? Do I prefer the black one or the blue one? These types of practices reconnect you to your preferences. Really talking and taking the time to ask yourself, do I want to do X? Am I feeling more Y? All of these things will be supportive and moving you out of that frozen, collapsed, unable to do anything because making a choice is already like a first action, right? Finally, I would add to the list tapping to be a really great tool if you can find a tapping professional or a practitioner to help you learn the techniques. Concentration exercises like puzzles or memory games. Those can also help you move out of dorsal as they kind of reconnect you with your cognitive function and help you kind of get back online a little bit. So when you know you're in dorsal, you're clear about your state, your experience. You take a moment just to be with that, to accept it. One way to do that would be to just feel what emotion, whatever emotion you feel, and to meet yourself there with then one of these practices to reconnect to your environment, to the ground, to your body, to your breath, to your mind, to your emotions, or to your desires to anchor and solidify this, I would suggest to take a moment of pause and to ground that new energy before continuing to move on. When you're ready to go up a notch on the ladder, we can start to move through sympathetic energy. In that state, we often feel kind of agitated, like we're ready to fix a problem using, generally speaking, fighting energy or pulling away energy. In a nutshell, we're stressed, right? We're worried, we're anxious, we're afraid. Thinking that emotions are just energy in motion, we often need to move our bodies to move that energy through. So from a restorative or yin practice from dorsal, we're now moving towards a more flowy, active practice. Since we want to meet ourselves where we are and the state is kind of a spectrum, right? You might have to start slower with like a hatha practice and work all the way up towards a heated power vinyasa if that's what you need. But you can also just focus on poses themselves that are quote-unquote activating or known to elevate your energy. It might be counterintuitive, but again, meet yourself where you are. You're feeling agitated, start with the pose that is technically agitating or a series of pose before you move into the more relaxing one. Because if you're really agitated and you put yourself into like a forced relaxation, your body is going to be like, I can't do this. I can't relax. I can't focus. I'm not ready for this. So on top of the more paced or fast or dynamic movements, poses, particularly like warrior poses, back bends, arm balances, and heating inversion are a good place to start. And if you feel like yoga is not quite what you feel drawn in that moment, pushing on something, like pushing the wall, like literally trying to move the wall away or pressing your hands together really strongly might help you kind of push that energy out. I personally love shaking and dancing. Those are my go-to for sympathetic energy and trying to move it out of my body. The other go-to for me is breath. Breath is an excellent way to move and shift your energy. Practices where the inhale is a little longer or the breath in general is faster or slightly more effortful as a pattern are great. So think of breath of fire or bellows breath. Those two patterns are really helpful to move through sympathetic energy or a sympathetic state. And I also have on the membership breath practices for Breath of Fire, and I don't have one for Bella's Breath, but I have it in some classes. If you'd like me to create a video on Bella's Breath, I'm happy to do that. Now, when we want to release frustration and anger, on top of moving that energy through the body, like the agitated energy, we can... Move the frustration and the anger itself. One way to do that is to use our voice. So I like singing really loudly to a really good angry song from like my teenage years or kind of yelling in a pillow. And that feels like a really good release for me. Punching a bed or any surface where you're not going to hurt yourself. Like don't punch the wall, <laughs> punch a couch, punch a cushion, will help you move the energy out of your body as well. That anger, if you feel like you're enraged, that can be very good. And I also like on top of the voice and the body to use art here and to be creative in a way that I'm not trying to create something pretty. I'm just lashing out on the canvas. Other rituals like using fire feel very supportive to me. Like writing all the things that make me angry and then burning in a way like something to use the fire to burn away feels good. If we think that it's not only anger but you can also experience fear and anxiety and worry, for me knowing what I'm afraid of, what I'm worried about is very important like as a first step to getting move past it. So I have to get to the root of the fear and some general tools we talked about earlier would be supportive here. I would also add a four-seven-eight breath pattern. So you inhale for 4, putting the tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth. <laughs> you hold for 7, keeping your tongue there. And then you exhale through the mouth for 8, relaxing your mouth and your tongue. And this breath pattern is really, really helpful to move out of anxiety. I also have a video of this to help you join me in practice. So if you're unfamiliar, there's so much stuff on the podcast membership to support you here. Once we have met ourselves in the agitated, fearful, or angry energy that we experience, we can start to shift towards the opposite. So using warmth, like sitting and drinking a cup of tea, taking a hot shower, hot bath, sitting in the sun can help you relax. Anything here that helps you feel relaxed but not avoidant will be supportive. And I feel like I could do an episode on that nuance. So let me know if that's something you're interested in learning about. Once we are starting to relax intellectually, we can change our focus. Instead of focusing on what makes us afraid and unsafe, we can take a moment to see what is in fact supportive, what feels possible, and what feels safe around us. If you go back to episode 117 on understanding your stress, We have a huge list there of stressful thoughts, so focusing on the opposite of those would be a way to do that. Then consciously changing our physiology, like relaxing our shoulders, relaxing our jaw or our neck, can help us relax as well. Remembering that the nervous system sends message to the body and receives message from the body, so releasing tension where we hold stress physically will tell the brain that it's safe to relax. As we move closer to ventral vagal, starting to ask for support, starting to slow down, using guided imagery of things that are relaxing for you, guided meditation, those are all ways that you can kind of bridge a little bit more towards ventral vagal. All right, let's finish with ventral vagal. In this state, you are socially engaged, you're connected, and you're able to relate to other people. Your system is functioning optimally. Every tool we talked about in the general sense for supporting your nervous system will help you here anchor in ventral vagal. In addition, in ventral, any activities that you used to do as a child that makes you feel kind of happy and playful and carefree will help you anchor in ventral vagal. So any games or activities or art or movements like, you know, a cartwheel are great to experiment with. Other than that, any practices that helps you feel connected to others. It could be like talking to your plants, cuddling your pet, asking for a hug, holding eye contact with someone that's safe for you, having them talk to you in a very like soothing voice, any loving touch, intimacy, and safe and vulnerable conversation where it's not like triggering the other person, but they're able to listen and receive you and just hold space for you. So on top of connecting to others, you can also connect with yourself. Connecting with yourself might, you know, look different for you than anybody else. But here's a few ideas. Journaling, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. We talked about all of those already. You can add here any self-care practice that you do. Any self-love practice that you do. Uh, Self-touch. We talked about self-massage already, right? Particularly the eyes, face, neck, belly. And then lastly, you could connect or do anything that helps you feel connected to something greater. Again, yoga, but like more in a devotional kind of sense, prayer, meditation as well. And anything that sparks your creative voice expression as well. I love singing and humming, not that I have any talent to do it, but it feels good for my system, right? So If it's not singing in the shower, maybe it's singing in the car. The car is somewhere where I go wild. (laughs) So maybe that is something where you feel safe you can do if there's no one else around you. Last couple things you can add, one would be heart rate variability exercise. So there are some studies showing how they impact positively your nervous system. So you can look into that and get the equipment you need and, you know, learn how to do that. And then one thing I've mentioned earlier were glimmers. So here, if you remember, glimmers are that thing that make you feel safe or good, kind of that opposite of the trigger, right? So for me, nature is definitely a glimmer. I walk in the forest or in the jungle here, and right away it's like, ah, like my body relaxes, right? Looking at the photo of a loved one, or if you have saved like voice memos or things like that of loved people, of people you love. Sometimes listening to those. Uh, Scents are also very, very strong and important for ventral vagal. They can help you through all the states, you know, depending on the thing you smell. But here, it's more like with the memory associated with it. So maybe for you, it's like apple pie makes you think of your grandma and that particular one moment at Thanksgiving, right? Or maybe it's like fresh cookies or smells like that that you can either recreate or just even think about and will help your nervous system move into or anchor into ventral vagal. I would encourage you here to make a list for yourself of all the glimmers that you experience. And over time, you just continue to add some and you keep that list handy. So at any moment, you can just kind of remember and pick one of the lists and be like, oh, I'm going to do this today. Okay. Wow. That was a lot. I know that we covered a ton in this episode. Now your job is to make a list of a few things that you want to start with. Start to create go-to responses for when you notice your state and you're ready to take action. So you don't have to like overthink it and have to figure out which action to take. Have a short list of things that sound good that I named that you're willing to start to work on or to use and let those first ones become more like automatic responses over time. And then you can add more tools to your toolbox. I wanted to give you plenty of options because some are going to work for you, some are not going to work for you. And so it's up to you to take a moment to make a selection. And as I said, don't overthink it. Make a selection with anything that feels right, even if you don't know why and you're like, hmm, this makes me interested, curious, or willing to try. Go with those first know that I can also help you find the right one for you. I can help you make a plan. I can give you accountability to implement then in your life. So I'd love to cheer you on on this journey as you learn to regulate your nervous system. So if you need, reach out, set a call. You'll have the link for that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. Come and connect with me on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast and share your takeaways on your nervous system. Become a premium member and get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. You'll find a link in the show notes for that. You can also check the show notes of this on my website, ericabelanger.com slash 128. You can come and tell me what you struggle with or send me your questions around your nervous system either there or in a DM and I'll create episodes for you to continue to see you. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support in making this possible and that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.